Hello and welcome to the weekly commodity market update. I'm Brownfield's Will Robinson, joined as always by the University of Missouri's Ben Brown. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Will. How are you? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Uh, you know, coming out of, uh, I guess, kind of the holiday season uh, lull, the, the, you know, the dizzying phase that that is. So, you know, hopefully you had a good holiday season. I did. And Happy New Year. Hope you had yep. a good New Year. My, New Year. My New Year tradition has quickly become sitting on the couch and watching football for like <laughs> four days straight. Uh, <laughs> I just, yeah, it was it was a beautiful weekend of football. So. Oh, yeah. you know, we had a, a lot of great college football games. Uh, you know, we were just talking about Tulane USC. Uh, uh, tough, tough break for your K-State Wildcats. But, uh, you know, they, they have a lot to build on moving forward. Yeah, you know, I have three teams that I follow. Ohio State from my time there, Mizzou from my degree here, and I work here. So I, I love Mizzou football and grew up a Mizzou fan. And then K-State because my undergrad is from K-State. All three of them made a bowl. Great. All three of them lost. Um, but, you know, <laughs> we're, we're looking ahead to 2023. And basketball season. K-State and, and Mizzou are playing some good there basketball. Go. So, and Ohio yeah. State's ranked now. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, for Purdue. I don't know if we get many Indiana viewers on here, but I was watching a little bit of the Purdue basketball game last night. Um, I think Purdue's good. I think Purdue's yep. going to have a good basketball season, but just a tough break last night. So uh, No, it's, uh, you know, it's only January. It doesn't matter oh, until February yeah, into March, right? So you got, you got I, time. You got plenty of time. I, I also got some painting done inside my house um, last okay. week. Let me tell you, I, I am at the point where I'm ready to act like an economist and substitute capital for labor. I, <laughs> I do not like painting. I should have hired that done. <laughs> <laughs> well, does it look good at least? So we painted the wall one color and decided it started to sound like no. <laughs> yeah, well, so we painted the wall. We painted all the whole room um, one color and decided we didn't like that color. So then we painted it all again. So it yeah. got painted twice. Twice. Wow. Yeah. And we yeah. like the new one. So, so that's good. Some back and forth on the paint. Uh, maybe uh, some back and forth on the markets too. Uh, let's dive into those. What kind of adjustments have we seen now coming into the new year? Yeah, for sure. Um, so kind of just a you know flat week, uh, low trade volumes here over the over the holiday season. Uh, new crop corn, or excuse me, old crop corn for March up three cents to six seventy six. December corn was flat on the week. January at six dollars and six cents. January soy, uh, March soybeans were up thirty four cents to fifteen twenty three. November new crop soybeans were up five cents to fourteen eleven. Soybean oil for March was down a penny and a third um, to sixty five cents. Soybean meal was up seventeen dollars and twenty cents to four hundred sixty five dollars per short time. Old crop wheat for March up six cents. New crop July wheat up five cents um, to seven ninety seven. And then that West Texas Intermediate crude oil um, was down seventy four cents per barrel. Yeah, so looking at, at the adjustments there, what really led the way? What were the key highlights? It was just, I mean, it was an odd week, right? Because of yep. kind of everything was off. And we started off with a day off at the beginning of the week for that Christmas break. But U.S. ethanol production was down again, uh, kind of to end out the year. So yeah, kind of a you know a luggish into the, the calendar year. Um, we fell below 1 million barrels per day of ethanol production. That was the first time below the 1 million barrel mark um, per day since early October. Uh, with the lack of use, um, the decrease in production wasn't enough to overcome an offset or the you know the decrease in use to keep stocks steady, and we saw increased ethanol stocks. Export sales pulled back again week over week. Uh, corn was slightly up from its 10-week average, while soybeans were well below their recent volumes, and then wheat exports were strong and then exceeded all expectations. So that's all I've got this week. Everything else is pretty much trivial um, for the start of the calendar year. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, always good to see those wheat exports being strong, right? So yeah, it's uh, something I think it's something I think we'll watch, um, and I think it's something that we'll see as we start looking towards this new marketing year. Or new, well, it's the current marketing year. We're halfway through the marketing year already on wheat, but you know, wheat exports are something that we we could see um, more U.S. wheat uh, being exported. Just kind of with some of the other challenges around the world. I think mm -hmm. the big ticket item there, if I can jump ahead. You know, is, is Russia had a, a mammoth wheat crop last year um, that really kind of helped really, uh, you know, leave some of the pressure in the global mm -hmm. wheat markets. It, it's hard for me to see what Russia having that big of a wheat crop again. Um, yeah. Certainly, certainly not out of the question, but certainly, you know, it's hard to see that again. And then with all the production challenges that we're seeing in other parts of the world, I think it's really going to make our U.S. wheat crop, um, especially the winter wheat crop, this coming coming out of the ground early, or early June, late May. Um, I think that's really going to make uh, a difference in the wheat market as we look ahead to 2023. Well, and that kind of teases what we're, we're going to be talking about today, really looking ahead or looking into now that we're in 2023, what are going to be the big ticket items? What are, What's really going to be uh, dictating the market? And a lot of the factors that we talked about last week, kind of highlighting what happened in 22, they're still going to be around, obviously, in 23. Russia, Ukraine is still going to be a major point of interest. Fuel prices are still going to be driving the market. Um, you know, and things like weather always are, are important. But really, you know, you talk about Russia, maybe not it not being likely that they have that same type of crop back to back years. So really, you know, if they don't run into that big of a crop, how much more does, you know, the ongoing conflict in Russia and Ukraine matter if, you know, you see that production be limited? Yeah, sure. So I think it just continues to tighten world feed grain markets, uh, wheat, corn, grain sorghum, uh, barley. I, I think we continue to see tightness in those markets um, out of that region. You know, then it's going to come to other places around the world to, to kind of fill that production gap. You know, the good thing, um, and I do believe this is a positive. I know a lot of U.S. producers don't view this as a positive, but the good thing is that there are many primary wheat growing regions. Um, it's not just the Black Sea. Um, you know, we've often talked about the U.S. wheat market has kind of shrunk to the point where we're not the preferred buyer for wheat uh, in the global markets because you've got Canada, you've got Australia, you've got places in South America that can produce wheat um, and, and help fill some of that void. Uh, so it really, you know, the tightness and the challenges that we see in the Black Sea um, really kind of increase the importance of wheat production in some of these other regions. Um, if we see continued dryness in South America, that's going to you know, tighten that wheat market and especially that feed grain market. Uh, and then then it comes to the United States and Canada, specifically Canada. But again, they grow a lot of wheat that's produced um, or harvested later in the summer. Um, where, you know, our wheat would be able to come, our winter wheat, especially um, that we see here in the Western Corn Belt, Kansas, Oklahoma, you know, it comes onto the market earlier. So there might be a little bit more demand um, for, for our wheat, our winter wheat crops, just given the timing of when everything's happening. And, and wheat has many stories and many classes and the classes of wheat are used for different things. And so, you know, there's only so much substitution you can use for different things, but certainly they're all tied together. And, and um, so I think there's the opportunity there for, for, for winter wheat to really, you know, help champion some of this early summer, you know, market movement. So. Yep. So a lot of opportunities kind of sitting out there right now for farmers, like you said, uh, you know, in the like Kansas, Oklahoma area, especially there uh, looking outside of wheat, because I don't, you know, spend all day here, but 
what are some of the bigger factors in your mind that are going to be really pushing the market this year? I know we keep talking about South American weather and how important it's been. And, and you know, the, a lot of this dryness last couple of growing seasons has really, you know, put a damper on their production. Uh, do you see that maybe changing? I, I know you're, it's hard to predict the weather, right? But, uh, you know, eventually <laughs> well, we've got to break out of that. Yeah, weather should always be at the top of the list for for anything when it comes to markets. Uh, I'm not even going to joke about that, but you know, weather's weather's a big deal. Yeah, you know, I think if I can tie this into something that we we maybe can make a little bit more tangible as acreage battles, both here in the United States and then around the globe. You know, we're we're looking at a, a very strong you know increase in soybean acreage in in Brazil and South America. I think you know to tie that onto the weather in terms of how things kind of materialize here the rest of January into February, maybe even early March, determines how big that second crop corn um, becomes. And um, and really, it comes down to if they're if it's wet and rainy, it's going to delay that soybean development and and push that corn crop even a little bit further back than what we'd normally see. You start getting worried about frost and other things, and really, really frankly, pushing that second crop corn into their dry season. Um, and so, I think you know the weather here is going to impact the acreage battle down there. They're seeing or they're they've they've got large acreage of soybeans. Um, I, I can see them producing, you know, more corn acres um, in that second crop than what we've seen in the past. And I think we will see that. Um, let me turn this to the United States for just a second and think about, um, you know, winter or, uh, you know, our acreage decisions that are coming up here. The producers are probably making already decisions and in some cases have already bought inputs um, for the 2023 crop, whether that's fertilizer, you know, seed, um, chemicals, what have you. But uh, I think we're going to see some some acreage battles here in the United States, uh, where, again, we run into this situation of a very uncertain price future. Um, and I'm probably more concerned about a price cost squeeze at the back end of the 2023 marketing year into 2024 than I was in 2022. Um, that that would signal that you move towards a less risky crop like soybeans um, that have lower input cost, um, more stable yields or, you know, less variability in yields. But... If you look at the margins right now, corn certainly is favored over soybeans um, in, in most of the Midwest. And so I think we're going to have an acreage battle. It's going to lead to some, you know, as we head into that March perspective plannings report um, or planning intentions report, I think there's going to be a lot of interest in that report this year, as so, always. But, but certainly, you know, acreage battles here. So really simply put, you're, you're more concerned about the likelihood of inputs, you know, being, you know, continuing to be high. But those prices that farmers are getting to maybe come down a little bit and kind of get that squeeze in the market. You're more concerned about that coming into this year than you were last year. Yeah, for example, I got my first ARC and PLC question. I had a farmer text me last night, um, was asking, you know, what what should he do for you know ARC and PLC decisions? And and I I thought I put a lot of thought, I've been putting a lot of thought into this, even for my own farm. Yeah, and I, I really want to see what those crop insurance guaranteed prices are in February um, this year because I I am concerned um, on the back end, and I certainly think that you know those crop insurance price guarantees could could push some people to think about SEO coverage, um, especially for corn um, as we head and grains organ as we head into 2023 election cycle. So, yeah, yeah. so let me throw a couple other things out there. Can I throw a couple other things yeah, yeah, no, no. there that I think are are unique, um, but certainly things to watch as we head into 2023? Um, high interest rate environment impacting how farmers treat grain storage. Um, this is not something we talk about a lot um, because in most cases, farmers don't account for opportunity costs. It's a fancy term that economists use, but basically it means what we're giving up to, to do something else. 
um, there is opportunity cost in putting grain in storage. Um, and, and that comes from the, the physical storage cost um, of putting up a grain bin or paying the commercial elevator to hold your grain, um, shrink, uh, you know, damage, mechanical damage, but then also this concept of, of interest expense. Um, and basically what it means is in, if interest goes up um, and you have grain in, in storage, you know, you're not, you're not paying down an operating loan, or if you don't have any loan, you know, you could use that money that you have in the bank and put in some type of an investment account um, that generates a return, right? So by just putting grain in storage, you know, it has an expense to it. And because soybeans are priced, you know, $15 per bushel versus $6, $6.50 a bushel or whatever, um, soybeans command a higher interest expense per bushel than what corn does. And so it tends to push more corn grain storage than soybeans. So I think that's something when we think about local basis, I look for interest expense. Um, it should, uh, I don't think people tend to think about this, um, but certainly, it, you know, I think we could see some impact on basis. Another thing, I don't know if you have any comments about that. Will, well, I, I was just going to say, so basically what you're saying is there, uh, you know, you're tying up money, you're tying up capital into an area whenever, you know, potentially could, you could be better off just having that liquidity, that flexibility to move that in different areas instead of just really, you know, kind of, forcing yourself to be stuck in this market. Sure, sure. And I and I see this being a bigger impact for this crop coming out of of the the field this this summer into this fall, right? Um, I don't anticipate we'll see as much storage as what we have um, maybe the last couple of years because that interest expense and, and really just physical storage costs, I think, going up. Um, so I think that'll impact basis markets and maybe change some marketing plans for producers. The other thing that I think is very important as we head into 2023, and especially here over the next couple of months, is, is soybean oil extraction rates. Um, and so as we crush soybeans here in the United States, how much oil we get per bushel of soybeans has been low as we've kind of started crushing this new, you know, the 2022 soybean crop. Um, does that improve? Does it, you know, does it remain low? I think that remains telling, but certainly that's going to have big implications for that soybean oil market. Um, if we continue to see soybean crush, you know, oil extraction rates uh, on the lower side, that's positive for soybean oil. But then on the other side, the soybean oil market kind of got overbought a little bit um, in, in relation to expected demand from renewable diesel. I still think that's coming. Um, but certainly when we got EPA's, you know, kind of expectations or the renewable volume obligations, there wasn't anything in there that can, was unexpected to the positive side, if that makes sense. Like there was nothing bad in there that changed the direction of where we're heading in terms of the soybean oil and renewable fuels market, but certainly wasn't anything different to the positive side, like a positive shock. And the market was anticipating that. And we've seen the kind of the tail, the, the deterioration in that soybean oil market. Um, you know, that could counter out some of these low soybean volumes. Um, but I certainly think as we hit, continue to head in, into 2023, into this summer, we're going to see soybean oil extraction um, low, and that's going to continue to prop up soybean oil markets. Yeah, and then just to, to clarify real quick, uh, just you know, on the that overbought uh, um, soybean con those soybean contracts there, so really you could just see those come back down in price just a little bit, just because maybe they they went higher than the market really you know dictated they should have been. Yeah, sure. Basically, I think money man money managers uh, are going to sell out of their positions, and as they sell yep. out of their positions, that's going to be a little bit more. We've already seen it. Um, to some extent, I think we got a little bit more to go. Um, but so I think we've got some some bearish outlook in the short run on the soybean oil market. But I think 
as those lower soil volumes come into play, expectations kind of stabilize. I look for the summer into the fall to see high soybean oil prices again, or in, you know, a, a better fundamental picture on the you know the bullish side for soybean oil. So Ben, can you say soy oil for me 10 times fast? <laughs> it's hard to say. With <laughs> so I feel like we've covered a lot of, uh, you know, topics in depth there and I really enjoyed the, the conversation. Obviously there's more things that are going to be impactful to the markets in 23. You know, again, those input costs, those fuel costs, uh, maybe watching the, the river levels, uh, see how much the, the soil gets recharged with moisture here over the winter, winter months uh, are, are definitely going to dictate a lot of the, the early parts of the growing season. But uh, Ben, as always, it's been a pleasure having you on uh, here with me this morning. Uh, viewers, listeners, if you'd like to learn more about what we do, you can do so at brownfieldagnews.com. Also check out our sister program, the weekly livestock market update on brownfieldagnews.com. I'm Will Robinson for Brownfield.